this point, every information portal is saturated with mindfulness content. But this show is a unique, unusual, curious take on mindfulness. Some of what you hear will be completely new to you. Let's dive in and take a look at the nature of the aware mind. I invite you to deepen your awareness so that you may be liberated and inspired. Today we are here with Sarah Vallely, mindfulness teacher, coach, and author. Sarah has been teaching meditation and mindfulness for the past two decades, training and certifying others to teach mindfulness as well. Sarah is the author of four books. Her latest book is titled Tame, Soothe, Dwell, The 55 Teachings of ESD Mindfulness. On today's episode, we are going to discuss fight or flight, what happens to our body during periods of fight or flight, can mindfulness help us during times of fight or flight, and can affirmations help to recondition our mind and body for the inevitability of all the other episodes of fight or flight we will experience throughout our life. This is Jacob DeRosset. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm great, Jacob. Thanks. Mindfulness of fight or flight responses in a technological age. First thing that we need to know about fight or flight is that they don't refer to it technically as fight or flight anymore. It's fight, flight, or freeze. And in some groups, they have added fawn, which means to appease someone, but I will refer to it as fight or flight. So when we go into fight or flight, it's because our senses detect a threat and our sympathetic nervous system is activated. And when this happens, our body releases certain hormones. These hormones increase cardiac contraction, otherwise known as increasing your heart rate. These hormones increase perspiration, increase blood glucose concentrations, constrict some of your blood vessels and dilate other blood vessels, contract your uterine muscles, dilate your pupils, dilate the bronchi in your lungs. And these hormones also decrease saliva production in your mouth. Uh, So this is a lot of physical activity going on in your body. The increased perspiration is so our body can cool down so we don't overheat. Uh, The constriction and the dilation of the blood vessels is to redirect your blood flow. So it's taking blood away from your fingers and your toes and your skin and directing that blood to your large muscles, biceps, your thighs, and your heart. And the increased cardiac contraction is to pump more blood to those muscles. And the bronchi are dilated to bring in more oxygen to distribute it to those large muscles. One of those hormones is adrenaline. And fun fact about adrenaline, it stays in your body sometimes for a whole hour. So if you get triggered into this fight or flight and you figure out that, oh, there really isn't a threat, you're still in fight or flight for like an hour. Uh, So it, it can cause stress, even though psychologically you understand there isn't a stress. This whole process is exhausting. And you might be thinking that, oh, this only happens to me a few times a year, that time when I almost got in a car accident, that time when I thought I lost my child in the big crowd, lost my job. But actually, we get triggered into fight or flight quite regularly. And I was reading a study that I will link in the blog post that showed people who have a diagnosable anxiety disorder get triggered into fight or flight just as often as people who do not have a diagnosed anxiety disorder. If you don't necessarily have high anxiety, you're still getting triggered and the information in this episode will be helpful. The other interesting finding in that study, if you do have that level of anxiety that's diagnosable, yes, you are getting triggered into fight or flight just as 
much as somebody else. But when you get triggered into fight or flight, it's a more intense reaction. On a physical level, you're going through a lot. Most people associate fight or flight responses with physical danger or something big, right? And so some of those situations might be a world event, concern about your physical health, sensing you might not be physically safe, fear of losing your job, fear of losing your current living situation. But fight or flight is actually triggered by other things besides physical threat or really big events. They're triggered by threat to your emotional stability, triggered by a threat to your reputation, um, the way someone might perceive you or the way you believe someone is perceiving you. And it also can be triggered by a threat to your status quo. So just something in your life is going to change. Just that simple possibility that something in your life as it exists now has the potential to change. And that in itself can trigger your fight or flight. In our technological world, some of the situations that might be triggering you into fight or flight are the following. And I invite you to listen and choose about five of these that you believe that you experience and jot them down. Concerned your life will change if you succeed at something. Believe it or not, you can go into fight or flight because something awesome is going to happen. If you succeed at something, things might change in your life and that can be threatening on some level. Believing you could fail at something, concern about the physical health of someone you love, sensing you might not be emotionally safe, believing you are making yourself too vulnerable in a certain situation, worries about your mental health, worries about the mental health of someone you love, fear of appearing weak if you become emotional, fear of being reactionary around other people if you become emotional, worried you will spiral down into negativity if you become emotional, regretful about an action you took. When I go and enter in interactions with other people, I am very afraid of what I'll say. I have a lot of fear around what's going to come out of my Mm -hmm. mouth. And then if somebody says something that's triggering to me, Am I going to then be reactive about that? Will I have control of that? Yeah. And that goes right back to feeling like there's a threat to your reputation for sure. And possibly a threat to your emotional stability. Feeling threatened in this way can have such a physical effect on our being. Uh, and, And mindfulness practice is such a wonderful way to become aware of that process, become aware of the thoughts that let you know that you are feeling threatened in that way, and then becoming aware of how your body's responding to that, your breath rate, or are you noticing there's some tightness in your gut area? Yeah. So continuing with some more of these situations that in this technological age, we would go into fight or flight, feeling like someone is questioning your integrity. That's a big one for me. <laughs> I really have a physical reaction to that one. Believing you will not be able to realize your dreams. Concerned an aspect of your personality will cause strain or conflict in a particular situation. Fear you will not be able to do something correctly. Concerned a skill or ability of yours is declining. Afraid of being abandoned, rejected, or neglected. Afraid of being verbally attacked. Concerned you will feel trapped in a relationship or in a situation. Concerned you will not be able to meet the needs of someone you love. Worried something you said is going to have a negative effect on a situation or worried your plans that you've made are not going to work out. So are these all not just forms of stress? My perspective is that stress originates three ways. One is stress comes just from our own thinking or simply from our thought processes. We are going into stress 
or stress comes from our fight or flight response. So yes, these are specifically stresses that come from our fight or flight response. And then the third source of stress is from past trauma. It's a subtle difference. And sometimes there's overlap. Sometimes our stress is coming from all three of those or two of those. Do you feel like the past trauma affects the fight or flight and then the thinking? I believe that sometimes we have one of these fight or flight type responses and that actually triggers past trauma. So you Mm -hmm. kind of are doubling down. You're going to experience it on different levels. You're going to experience it in this fight or flight way. And then you're also going to experience it in this re-triggered trauma way, which is a little bit different. The re-triggered trauma is emotional, right? We're really feeling these deep emotions of abandonment, of loss, rejection, which we might not necessarily experience if we're just in a simple fight or flight. But when you have that dual situation, then you're going to experience both together. And that can be really intense. And then what normally happens is that's so intense that then it's triggering your cognition and your thought process in a very intense way and moving you into anger, moving you into resentment, shame and things like that. Yeah. So that's why mindfulness is just so helpful for this process because we can start to piece together this uh, response to what happens in our life. And the idea is, is to isolate them. Like, can we just experience the fight or flight without necessarily having it affect our cognition? Can we just experience the re-triggered trauma um, without it triggering our fight or flight. That's the mindfulness practice that I teach is how to experience those individually. So they are not as intense and you can move into healing. In the isolating, is it more or less labeling, learning to identify the root of this? The reason I'm asking is it sounds pretty difficult in a, in a moment, especially a physical sensation of fight or flight that you're experiencing that is affecting your cognition and has triggered past trauma. So how would you help somebody if they wanted to just figure out how to begin this process, I guess? You are actually right on target with that. So the naming is a key part of that process. If you are having a fight or flight response, you would focus on the physical sensations in your gut area and you might label it tight. I feel really tight. And then if you notice the way that this fight or flight response is affecting your cognition, then you might label that worry, fear, whatever form that comes in. It allows you to accept what's happening, first of all. And when you accept what's happening, then you can bring yourself down a little bit and process through it. It's like the first step in processing through it is accepting what's happening. Labeling is also important with the trauma is we want to really move into that core emotion, stay in that core emotion by using labeling, just saying loss. Wow, this really hurts. Loss. Wow. This is, this is great. I think that I had done this process in therapy. I would talk for an hour and then he would have four or five words that seemed like magic of just like, oh yeah, that's this. And then be Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. And then now I go home for a week and then I start to experience these things again and be like, oh, okay. Now I have words for that Mm -hmm. experience. Yeah. It sounds like your therapist was helping you with the 
terminology, the vocabulary to label what you were experiencing, which helped you feel like you were understanding your process. And so, yeah, that's another benefit of the labeling is it brings you into this understanding. Like I understand what's happening instead of feeling like this big ball of emotion and fear and anger that you can't really decipher what's going on. Completely, really just normalizing everything I was experiencing and labeling it. I've never heard it explained in this way. And this, this really, uh, really resonates with me. Yeah. And another technique that can help you stay with the fight or flight so it doesn't affect your cognition so much or it doesn't trigger past trauma is validation. Validating yourself and saying, it's understandable that I'm having this reaction in this situation. So the consequences of this process of going into fight or flight are physical level, which already covered, you know, all of those changes that are going on in your body, that redirecting the blood, your heart rate, your breathing. Cognition is also affected. For example, beginning to think worried thoughts. Um, another is experiencing overthinking, such as planning. It would be better to just take a moment and calm yourself down. Uh, and the other thing that can happen on a cognitive level is if you know you're triggered and you look around and you're trying to find what's triggering that, but you can't find what's triggering that, then it's possible you can actually turn on yourself and you can internalize the experience and start putting yourself down and devaluing yourself and getting angry at yourself. And so that's a really serious cognitive response to the fight or flight mode and definitely something to be mindful of and immediately when that happens, you know, giving yourself some self-compassion, saying something like, I don't know why I'm triggered right now, but it's, it's understandable. This happens. Um, we get triggered. There's something that my senses are picking up and, and it's okay that, that I'm triggered in this moment. And then the other consequence is behavioral. So the responses are physical response to fight or flight, cognitive response, and behavioral and some of the behavioral responses are trying to soothe the discomfort with substances, with food, with unhealthy relationships, taking our stress out on other people. Uh, so we can use mindfulness to address these, uh, especially the behavioral. We can really become mindful of the process and it's affecting our body. It's affecting our thoughts. Okay. I know I'm in this fight or flight process. I'm going to be careful of the actions I take. That's a really good way to use mindfulness when you're triggered in this way. Uh, on a cognitive level, we can use mindfulness to notice our fight or flight is affecting our thoughts. We are going into worried thinking, we're going into over planning, things like that. And we can redirect by noticing the sounds in our environment for five minutes, feeling the physical sensations in our body for five minutes, paying attention to our breath for five minutes. I have found that traditional mindfulness is not the most effective way to address the physical consequences of fight or flight. And those of you who practice mindfulness, you might notice that some days you have anxiety and you sit down and practice mindfulness and your anxiety goes away and you feel better. But sometimes you have anxiety, you sit down to practice mindfulness and it doesn't go away. <laughs> My belief is that 
those times that it doesn't go away, it's because the anxiety is fight or flight and it is in your body and the traditional mindfulness techniques, such as single pointed focus, paying attention to your breath, paying attention to the sounds in the environment, paying attention to your physical sensations. And then the other type of mindfulness is open awareness, where we're just simply aware of whatever comes into our consciousness. Those don't, in my opinion, bring down that fight or flight response on a physical level that well. I mean, obviously they do to some degree, but to really move yourself out of that feeling, I have found other practices to work better. And one of them is affirmations. And I don't consider affirmations mindfulness. I don't consider affirmations, a mantra, breath work. I don't consider any of those to be actual mindfulness. What category would you put affirmations in? That would be a practice and intentional thinking. And intentional thinking is very powerful. It's the idea of thinking of something on purpose. It can really have some wonderful effects on our being. But one of the issues with intentional thinking is sometimes it gets in the way of our healing process. Sometimes we really need to go into feeling some difficult emotions to move into healing. And if we are using intentional thinking to avoid feeling some of these deep emotions, then we miss out on going through a healing process. Reading about stoicism, listening about stoicism and trying to implement it. It had became a hammer I was hitting over my head. Oh, I shouldn't be experiencing this emotion in this way. I need to be this way. I need to get up early and I need to do this. And then when I uh, went to therapy, he was like, well, why? are you doing that? Come to find out he was getting at that I wasn't in tune with what I was experiencing. I was telling myself what I needed to experience. I had spent years telling myself what I needed to be. So I was doing intentional things, right? Rather than just being open to what was happening. So now I've turned to more of a connoisseur and to laugh at myself when I'm being silly or, you know, and all these things like I now I'm able to laugh at all these uh, the things we're discussing is like, I have done all of these, literally everything on this list I have experienced <laughs> in some form. And there's like eight things that this morning quite triggered about, about a, a, a ticket sale issue on vivid seats. How do you think you got to that point? Like, how did you go from, you know, just getting triggered to getting a point where you can laugh about it? So you being hard on yourself is making your situation seem worse than it is. It's actually not that bad, but if you're hard on yourself about it, it's going to seem a lot worse and it's going to make you react worse. And it's caused this whole cascade thing. He's like, so, so basically pull your head out and realize like, no, I, Actually, things are okay. So basically, yeah, observe my life. Look at all the things I have that are going really well. If I'm just sitting there just pounding the table about all the things I'm upset about, instead of saying, well, okay, where's the fixable parts of this situation? And if there are none, then be like, oh, well, isn't that crazy? And move on. When we have a fight or flight response on a regular basis, I don't consider correcting that so much as healing. I definitely consider healing trauma triggers when we use mindfulness to move through trauma, memories, and emotions in a healthy way. We definitely heal that trauma. I look at the fight or flight a little bit differently. That I consider to be a process of reconditioning. Our sympathetic nervous system gets conditioned to respond in in a certain way to certain situations over time. And what you can do with mindfulness, this is actually studied, there's research that supports this, is that you can use mindfulness to uncondition that response. That can take the form of simply noticing every time 
your sympathetic nervous system gets triggered in that situation. And then using an exercise in that moment to soothe your sympathetic nervous system and, and move you out of that fight or flight mode. And when you dedicate yourself to that over time, addressing those triggers with an exercise, you will actually retrain your gut and it'll become reconditioned. That process to me is a little bit different than healing from trauma. What is an example of that exercise that you use to, to recondition? Mm-hmm. Breathing exercises take five minutes to think of four things that bring you feelings of stability. So maybe there's a relationship that brings you feelings of stability. Maybe your house, your home brings you feelings of stability, maybe your job, just taking five minutes to consider those. That's another practice. And then the affirmations I've found to be really helpful for calming that sympathetic nervous system. And so I had invited you to take note of about five of these triggers What I'd like you to do is consider those triggers. And I'm going to say a few affirmations and see if any of these affirmations would be a good way to address one of those triggers. If not, maybe you could create your own affirmation to address that certain trigger. An affirmation might be, I ease into change because I am rooted in stability. I am always safe to experience my emotions, no matter the intensity. I define my integrity, not other people. I am supported and safe, even though I am afraid. My stability is stronger than my disruption or turmoil. I have actually had, I guess, mantras at certain points in my life when I could really recognize I was able to really self-soothe. But whenever I have read things like mantras, I scoff at those. (laughs) You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, Come on, you know, yeah, no, and, I'm the and same I, way. I, yeah. Now <laughs> yeah. I was the same way with, with meta practice when I first started, mm-hmm. I was like, this is ridiculous. I don't need this. And how would you help somebody that's super skeptical? Soothing your sympathetic nervous system is definitely an art, not a science. You really have to try different things and see what works best for you. If you decide to try using affirmations to soothe your sympathetic nervous system, it's really important that in the affirmation is the exact principle that is triggering you. So an example would be worried that your dreams aren't going to come true. And there's lots of different reasons why someone might be worried that their dreams aren't going to come true. But what if your reason had to do with timing? You were really focused on the timing, like this dream that I have to build this house needs to happen at this certain time. So the timing is really important. So that affirmation needs to include something about the timing for it to really work. So you might have the affirmation, my dreams will become a reality in the perfect amount of time. And so that's what I would say is just try it and and see how the affirmation affects you on a physical level. Uh, If the affirmations aren't working, then you need to try a different approach. You might try some breathing techniques. You might try the four and five that I mentioned. Uh, Think of four aspects of your life that bring you stability for five minutes. Really, my only real goal is to build a, a home. Yeah, I do get hung up on the timeline and the housing market and things and it is very stressful. So I'm going to do a little experiment where I'm going to try that affirmation because I'm very skeptical about affirmations, but I I want to give it a a good, honest try. Yeah. So one for me is I get triggered by feeling like I'm going to fail this belief that I'm going to fail. That's a big one for me. And so my affirmation that I use to address that is it doesn't matter if I fail or succeed. What matters is that I love myself no matter what. 
And when I say that affirmation, like I literally feel my gut relax. <laughs> it's, it's has such a physical effect on my experience. I was not a fan of affirmations for years. I mean, especially because I'm steeped in mindfulness, right? I mean, affirmations and mindfulness are contradictory. It's natural for us to want to shy away from that type of practice. But when it comes to fight or flight triggers, I have had so much personal experience and with my students and my clients, affirmations have really helped them soothe that experience. This is a really important episode. A lot of the information that we go over in this episode could be beneficial to a lot of people. I'd like to ask our listeners to go through their phone contacts and think of one person who would benefit from the content of this episode. And please share this episode with them. On the blog, I will post links to research and I will also post a list of these scenarios that are typical fight or flight triggers in our technological world. And I will also post the affirmations that I shared that can address some of these triggers. The Aware Mind podcast is a TSD mindfulness production. Please visit our website at tsdmind.org. That is T as in tame, S as in soothe, and D as in dwell. Mind as in mindfulness.org. Check out our blog post for this episode with links to supplemental information such as worksheets you can use to put into practice the mindfulness skills shared in this episode. Also, please sign up for our newsletter and receive mindfulness tips. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at aware underscore mine underscore podcast. <laughs>